Thanks for checking out this episode of the Braveway Podcast. I will be doing the post show for the Jonathan Ivy's Cage Fighting Championships that happened on March 7th, 2020. I know this is going to be, of course, days late after the event, but you have to do these things when you have time. And a good thing about doing these post shows, people may have already seen the results. I've posted the results out there on a different social media uh, channels in the event did it itself however the uh, analysis for some of the fights you know you can always give at any time and also uh, the aftermath of the event um, is still for months to come so I hope you guys enjoy the pod remember check out Trove of Creations uh, they just had a fundraiser that just stopped to help enhance their business uh, but they are a place you can go for your beard skin, uh, supplies. Um, you know, they use essential oils. It's all premium handmade products. They even have things for your pets as well. You can go to Trove of Creations on Facebook or Instagram, or you can go directly to their webpage, www.etsy.com slash Trove of Creations. Check them out. Like I said, I use their products, not disappointing, and I hope you guys enjoy the pod. Hey guys, I'm uh, out here on the way to my jiu-jitsu class, and I was like, oh man, I forgot to do the post-show for Jonathan Ivy's Cage Fight Championships 8 and uh, by forgot I mindless, I pretty much mean I uh, didn't have time to do it when I wanted to I uh, was also trying to get on another pod if possible to speak to somebody uh, about this event that was uh, covering it themselves and you know things uh, didn't, didn't happen didn't shake out the way I planned them to but you know it uh it's better late than never right so if i want to go ahead and start by saying uh these are things uh that happen on weigh-in day now if you listen to the, uh, the preview show like i've said before when it comes to a lot of these events uh for amateurs people get cold feet um in the moment um you know i understand people having to pull out you know, for like family matters or things along that line. Sorry if y'all end up hearing like a little weird break there. But anyway, if, um, you know, family matters, things came up. Like, unfortunately for myself, I had to pull out the day of weigh-ins because of this illness I had that I'm not going to really go into because obviously, you know, I have competitors that can listen to the things that are going on. The people that needed to know were informed. Uh, so anyway... Uh, I'll, I'll use that by how to cover this, right? So, Chris Lozano was supposed to fight Cameron Taylor. If you remember in the uh, uh, preview show, I said that, you know, uh, uh, Christian Lozano uh, finished second in uh, the state tournament 
uh, his senior year. He went to Beach. He was like, I think he had uh, 53 wins at least. I can't remember what his losses were. Um, but obviously, if he had 53 wins, he had way less losses than he did. Um, you know, they're not close. <laughs> but either way, um, and I was really interested in seeing how he competed, which I will end up getting to. But, in, um, you know, against a guy uh, in Cameron Taylor, a long, lankier guy uh, that came out uh, typically willing to strike. If you were looking at it, man, on camp. So, since this fight is over... Um, I could actually, I'll speak about it a little bit more. If you look on Cameron's topology, now, topology is not a good thing comparing to what a person's record actually is because uh, an event has to uh, submit their stuff on topology. After they submit their stuff on topology, they have to have like numerous sources to confirm what a person's record is or isn't and a whole big thing. But it's a good idea for like a lot of smaller shows and and guys who are trying to get their name out there to uh um have their name on there and then plus you could probably see pass opponents for some people right so it always depends on what organization you're fighting for state you're fighting for stuff like that so cameron he's a fighter out of kentucky he has it's like he's at one win and like 12 or 13 losses and most of his losses he was finished within the first round either due to strikes um, and I, don't, I really don't think he was submitted that often. Actually, I think he was just, you know, got caught or whatever. But when he was him, Christian and, excuse me, Christian and Cameron were on this uh, show, Talk Before the Walk, where they highlight a lot of the um, amateur fighters, a lot of the uh, pro regional guys. And, uh, you know, give them a time to get their voice out there and also, you know, explain about the fight, how to think the fight's going, uh, past uh, issues that they may have came uh, regardless of the fight, stuff like that. So, it's, you know, it's a good show. I definitely uh, recommend you check it out. Uh, it's on uh, Facebook, Talk Before the Walk, and uh, you put it in just like that and you'll find it. Uh, Justin Christie um, is the uh, MC on that. Anyway, Cameron was saying, you know, he found out that he was that uh, Christian was a wrestler. He's notoriously bad against wrestlers and things like that. And, you know, he, he's a younger guy too in the, in the fight game. And then to be as young as he is with the 13 fights, pretty much let you know, he was showing up to fight anybody anywhere at any time. Uh, but with that being the case, his last four fights, um, or it may be more than that. He has ex accepted about and then about to been canceled. Now, that doesn't mean that he necessarily was the one who backed out of each other, one of them. But, you know, if passes prologue, it looks like he may have, you know. And he did that, that preview show uh, right before, like, the, it was like, like three or four days before weigh-ins. And like I said, myself too, I got asked to do this media thing and I ended up doing it knowing that I was already sick. But I didn't think I was looking to turn for the worst. I thought I was going to be able to handle... Um, being in the fight you know and so you know pot pot calling the kettle black here but it seemed like he he kept using the phrases over and over again i'm bad against wrestlers i'm bad against wrestlers i'm bad against wrestlers well how do you fix that right obviously you, you work on your wrestling but either way you know now as you see he ended up pulling out of that fight 
So, you know, Christian Lozano's good to go. He wants to go ahead and get his, his first opportunity in the cage. He's used to high-level, uh, you know, competition, things like that, right? Lucky enough for him. Uh, but also unlucky at the same time for this other guy. Uh, Isaac Morris was supposed to be defending his Bantamweight title uh, against Justin Key. Well, Isaac did not make weight for his fight I do believe he was some people said it was one pound and at the venue other people was telling me it was three pounds that he was overweight and Justin's team said they're not taking a fight if it's not a title fight um and I you know from people I had asked at the venue uh of course I wasn't there weigh in so it's like you know you get conflicted stories some people gonna say one some people gonna say the other some people were saying that Isaac was stripped of the title because he failed to make weight. Um, and then Justin didn't compete because they didn't have another Bantamweight on the card that would be considered worthy of the title shot and things like that, right? Because it's like, because people were also saying that if it was one pound, he should have just took the fight without the title. You know, it was his first fight in the CFC anyway. So some people felt like he was being gifted a title shot. You know, these things happen in amateur MMA. So, anyway, that fight ends up falling through. Well, Chris Lozano, being a game person that he is, he decided to step up and take the fight um, against Isaac. It was a catchweight fight. Um, I mean, he pretty much gave up 10 pounds. So... I'm going to just let that marinate for y'all for a little bit, and I'll get to how that fight went. But I got to tell you another uh, fight that unfortunately did not happen. So Chase McMullen was supposed to be defending his super heavyweight title against Brian Meeks. Uh, if I'm correct, it's been around uh, six, well, maybe a little bit longer than that. But uh, I think it's been about a year or so that uh chase was had competed um in the cage i believe the last time he fought was for the uh heavyweight title actually no i'm sorry that's not right i think he fought for the uh defended his super heavyweight title and then that was his last uh fight and that was october of 18 and i do not believe he fought on a card all of 2019 so yeah so uh, so, you know, roughly a year or so, some change, depending on how you want to look at it. And he was getting ready to fight Brian Meeks. Brian Meeks comes on the scene, uh, makes a statement when he beats uh, Alejandro Madroya, probably saying his name wrong. And uh, so it, there's a fight everybody was looking into. You know, I got these two big heavy-headed punchers, and we're going to see how the fight goes. Well, you know, so I get there. And because I had like, I was already informed based off of social media, things like that, that the Bantamweight title was gone. But so I get there and then I see Chase and he's in street clothes, like street clothes, hands aren't wrapped. Like it's not, it's not uh, uncommon to see some people maybe walking around in street clothes, even though their hands are wrapped because uh, they don't feel like they need to do anything to amp themselves up because they're not fighting for so long. Um you know to way later in the evening right so 
I see him in street clothes. He's just walking around with the title. And since I've been at these events before, when I see people, the champions in street clothes, walking around with their title, that typically means that their fight is off. So I go up to Chase and say, hey, man, Chase, what happened? And he told me, man, my fight got canceled today. And I said, what happened? You know, and then he said, dude didn't show up. So I was like, dang. I said, so did he not show up like today or what's, you know, what's going on? He said, yeah, he didn't show up today. And then in our conversation, it ended up being finding out that he didn't show up to weigh-ins either. Um, not only did I show up to weigh-ins, he did not answer uh, phone calls that were sent to him. Because uh, for all of the purposes, I don't think he uses social media, which is a lot of people don't. Um, but it was like he wasn't answering phone calls for the past like a week or two. There were some media obligations that uh, Ivy had supposedly set up that um he didn't respond to any of those requests as well and you know i hope nothing foul happened you know I, uh, this is a uh, this fight was the same week of the uh the tornadoes that came through middle tennessee and some parts of uh, uh east tennessee uh, so i'm hoping he wasn't out somewhere or he had family affected in that matter uh but you know so anyway so you know, they said, you know, he could get in contact with him, could do anything. And it's like looking at the car, there was no super heavyweights that were on the car that were also deserving of a title shot. Super heavyweights or heavyweights at that time, rather, that were deserving of a, a title shot. So he was out. So two big fights uh, that people were looking at seeing, you know, in regards of titles being defended didn't happen but there was like i said christian lozano then ended up fighting isaac morris so if i get into it if i can the fights that people care about the most starting off with the main event the main event donovan zavalto uh taking on uh jaime vasquez uh you know the number two and number one respectively fighters uh, number one fighters in the cfc's history uh, that it, it's in its existence and this fight from the get jump was action packed uh, Donovan was able to land a good strike on Hami early um, had Hami rocked uh, if you've seen Hami fight before there's been past situations where he's been rocked he immediately goes to start shooting uh, for takedowns and stuff like that he stood right in the pocket ended up exchanging there was a couple takedown tips that was occurred uh Hami ended up uh tripping over his old feet after he tries to throw some kick um donovan goes straight down on him and there's this you know beautiful jujitsu sequence like these guys are, are really good grapplers and uh, i don't know if i know Hami is a purple belt uh, under jason matherly uh currently is also my professor as well and uh donovan is a uh i, I think he's still a blue i don't know if he got his purple yet but uh under uh i don't well he i don't think he's under uh logan nash another cfc fighter i believe he's under the um their direct gym owner and his name escapes me at this time but i know logan nash is uh really involved in all their fight camps and stuff like that and i believe that's probably their main um uh, the main go-to when it comes to doing all their uh, mma based jiu-jitsu so anyway um so getting to the sequence right so when they get into the sequence, which is what you love when you see people who reason why they're considered number one and number two uh, CFC fighters overall is because a lot of these guys, when they get taken down 
or they get you know they get knocked down or whatever and somebody falls on top they they go to full guard and they worry about just holding full guard the whole time they, you know and it, when you actually practice and train jiu-jitsu a bunch not just like to say i'm getting ready for a fight not doing anything else you learn very fast if i'm just digging if i'm digging two underhooks and i got my hands clasped and i got my legs locked around this guy nothing's going to happen i'm not going to get up he's not going to get up he's not going to advance right so and a lot of refs like uh the ref that we had uh, yona israel uh he is a black belt in jiu-jitsu himself and he tells everybody before these fights occur i'm not going to save you from these bad positions because you're attempting to stall right if you look like you are in a neutral position and but both like i'm trying to dig an underhook they're trying to dig underhook. we're both trying to do anything that we're still mating each other out that's different but if you could see one person continuously attempt to uh, make a progression forward and the other guy's just sitting there he's not going to stand the fight up he's just going to let you end up losing the round right if that happens so anyway when this sequence happens you know Hami ends up going for a lockdown and he's trying to set up his different sweeps and stuff from there um in the middle of a transition uh donovan ends up getting a arm bar um it's called the uh spider web position uh, mostly in the tenth planet system and so he's in there and then he's going for it and he's belly down arm bars um, you know, he's getting back at the full guard. He's getting close. He's like, he's rolling and rolling and rolling. And wherever he goes, uh, Hami has an answer to defend it. And whatever Hami's answer to defend it was, Donovan had another solution to get the armbar locked back in place. And there was a couple times where it looked like Hami was fully extended that a lesser man would have tapped. And this would have all happened within the first uh, minute or so um, in this title fight, right? And Hami was able to work his way out. You know, they end that round uh, more or less uh, back on the feet. Um, there were some issues with uh, Hami throwing illegal knees to the head. In Tennessee, you cannot knee to the head, only to the body. Um, you can't elbow to the head either. Um, and so, but, you know, it was kind of like the ref was warning him about the situations but at the same time he was like Hami's case was and it kind of looked like it is when he was getting <clears throat> when when Hami was getting ready to throw a knee Donovan was moving his head down to possibly get um not saying that he was like trying to look for a way out but um would make Hami think twice about throwing the knees you know trying to play that cat and mouse game that you see a lot of times in MMA um because he ended up getting dropped by one of the knees in the clinch and I think the one he got dropped by was one that Hami threw way too high, um, it, you know, aiming for his chest when he should have been aiming straight lower uh, for his stomach. Uh, second round occurs, same thing, back throwing hands. And um, they're both, like I said, they're both getting rocked back and forth. Um, it's a, like I said, it's an action-packed fight. You kind of see that Donovan's gas tank was wearing on him. You know, this was his first fight at 155. He normally fight at 170 pounds. I don't know how much weight he cut to get to 55. Like, how much did he cut the week of, you know, because that didn't have a factor. Because something else that was interesting, too, with this fight, um, when you see, if you've seen Donovan fight before at 170, he comes out and puts a pace on people that they don't, they have not seen before. Um, Hami, from the get jump, was matching the amount of pressure that Donovan was given. 
and Donovan started wilting faster. Um, and then that, of course, ends up going into the third round. And the third round, arguably, um, there was a couple good shots that Hami landed, um, ended up taking Donovan down. And, you know, to be honest, I think the ref could have stopped the fight a long time ago within that round. Arguably, you could have probably stopped it in the second round with how Hami ended up on top with ground and pound in. The entire third round from, like, the get jump, he landed a good strike, and then he was on him ground and pound the entire time. And Donovan was trying to do his best to defend and stuff to get up, um, but Hami is a monster in a certain in some of these positions, and he, he wasn't able to, and then he Hami ended up winning a unanimous decision to retain his title. Um, well, it'll be interesting to see what's next for Donovan. Uh, one, not only was that his first loss, that's hands down the most damage he's ever taken in a fight. Uh, I don't think he's ever fought in the third round. I think he all his wins, um, he's finished uh, before. Well, the fight he was going to go to the third round to, the guy, uh, Caleb Miller, as I ended up uh, figuring out what his name was, um, he couldn't he couldn't answer the bell because uh, he had an injury going into the third. And it was a it was fights that uh, Donovan was like putting pressure on and landing the most damage. So like I said, so this is the first time he definitely took them as much damage and he lost. So it'll be you know does he stay at a hundred and fifty five pounds? Because uh, you know him and Hyman were about the same height. The current, which is I'll get to later, the person who won the belt at the vacant one seventy that he he left is uh, I think 6'1 or 6'2 uh, so you know that's he's be, he'll be giving up you know close to like I think like six seven inches in height so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh, the, uh, the other title so the uh, excuse me so the title that ended up being defended as well uh, Alexander Shank versus uh E.B. Sigby, uh, he caught him in the guillotine in the third round. And to be honest, it's, uh, I believe, so I'll say this, Alexander did exactly what I figured would, would happen. Um, he learned from his losses. He came out, started putting that pressure on early to not give up early rounds and not just sit back and attack. Um, he came out to sit there to prove a point, and which was great. And I also say this, man, you know, because I was thinking about, like I said, seeing some of his fights. Some of these guys, you know, they're standing in front of him and they're not really doing much, man. And what I think it is, is if you saw, like, the uh, Romero-Adesanya uh, fight this past weekend where these big, powerful strikers or whatever and grapplers, uh, he finally did what... A lot of people couldn't do is just stand there and then try to make Adesanya open up and make a mistake, right? People think that fight was very boring. I think a lot of these people are trying to do that same thing to Alexander. The problem is, one, we're three-minute rounds. And then, two, if you give this guy room, he going to style on you. You know, uh, Ibby didn't shoot until the third round. Which was it was very obvious he was losing the fight at that point um, because he didn't land anything significant or anything at all um, within the first 
two rounds. He he was he was throwing at him a little bit, but he wasn't really trying to necessarily like look to clinch that much, um, or or shoot for single legs or double legs or anything like that. And so Alex was just styling on him, throwing different things, hit throwing some spinning kicks and and different push techniques and things like that. And I think probably like going into like the second round, mid second round, where it really looked like he was stifled, couldn't confuse, didn't know what to do. And Alex was taunting him to try to tell him to come on and, and fight. I think he froze him up. He didn't know what to throw because he was worried about the counter that was coming back to him instead of reacting. So what happened in the third round is he came out and started spamming the takedown, right? And this is something that I'm sure that their camp was preparing for anyway going into the first round. But just because an opponent is preparing for it and may not be expecting it doesn't mean that you have to necessarily go away from that game plan. And... Um, so he was going out being aggressive, sprawl, sprawl, sprawl. And then eventually, a lot of things mistake that a lot of wrestlers do is they leave their neck stuck out. As soon as they do, he locked up the uh, the guillotine, front naked choke, depending on how you want to look at it, and, and got him out of there. You know, uh, fantastic return performance of CFC from uh, Alexander Shank. Uh, and then uh, there was a weird thing where the, uh, I think the announcer had asked him who, who he wanted to fight next after that fight was already decided. Because um, I think he asked that to him and uh, him, Hami, and the new uh, belt welterweight champion. It's like who they want to fight next. Well, that's not the champion's call. The champion gets whoever they're supposed to get, and they respond to him. Uh, but, yeah, like I said, man, outstanding performance from uh, Alexander Shank. Um, and like I told people before, if you watch, if you have not seen this man kick, he has the best kicks uh, in the CFC by far. Uh, per level and then of course the speed where he could do his spinning stuff and he's he's right back in your face man you give him room he's gonna light you up with his feet so uh congrats to uh, alexander getting his win back on the cfc getting back on his winning record um so the vacant title uh fight between james harrison and ivan lucas ended with harrison winning the fight in the first round via TKO and there was a huge height disparity uh, going in that fight like uh, Harrison he's obviously going to you know he's 18, 19 years old he's going to get bigger he's going to fill out that frame a little bit more uh, so he might be a force to reckon with with a lot of people at um, 185 pounds um, you know when he really like I said like puts that weight on him when he's getting close to his pro pro career or because he is kind of leaner he may be able just to continuously make 170 pounds I don't know what he walks around at but anyway um this fight was uh <clears throat> excuse me this fight was contested with Ivan attempting to throw some things uh a little bit too heavy in regards of trying to close the distance and whenever he failed he was getting blitzed um and then harrison was putting him on him landing good power shots to the body uh good kicks good punches and then after he landed a few he'd separate off and then eventually um he got too close ivan did got taken down and uh got pounded out and the fight was there uh so 170 in the cfc is interesting to see what they're going to do uh, due to his teammate, which is, I believe he's, in my opinion, he should just go ahead and fight for that 185-pound title, um, even though he would be, like, depending on who he's fighting, he may be giving up a little bit of weight because he obviously just fought at 170, but he's fought at 185 
uh, and a catchweight at 195 because uh, he's he's just a game dude ready to fight. Uh, Najee Blackwell, which is I'll cover his fight here in a second. Uh, but um, those boys at Harris Holt, man, they got a they got a squad together. And when it comes to these people in the middle, uh, for a factor, there'll be tough people to uh, to reckon with, especially because um, the guys there, you know, they're they're coming to take names. Um, they're coming to do whatever they got to do to make it to the top. Uh, <clears throat> so that was all the title fights that ended up happening. Like I said, unfortunately, um, two title fights, the Bantamweight and the, <clears throat> excuse me, the Bantamweight and the Super Heavyweight title were not able to be defended. Uh, this time around, hopefully we'll have a title fight for the Bantamweight Championship in the uh, summer. Uh, the heavyweight title is currently vacant at this point. Um, I'll get with this. I'll get with the possible matchup um, here in a few. Uh, but let me go ahead and bring out the Isaac Morris versus uh, Christian Lozano fight. Uh, that fight was when they say you have to have weight classes in MMA. You see why? That's the first CFC fight. You know, I'm not going to count heavyweights because you know we're just bigger you know, oddly shaped guys anyway. That was the first fight that I saw that I really was like, they need that weight classes are for a reason. And, you know, I was like, as great as Christian is, as good as his wrestling I knew was going to be compared to Isaac's, I was like, there's no way he's going to get the takedown on this guy. Not only is he fighting a guy who failed to make weight for his weight class, um, you know, just because he couldn't sweat, his body was holding on all the water and, and whatever case may be happened at, you know, prior to the weight cut, the day before or things like that um i was like man he's he's definitely going to be lacking in the power too because isaac can crack and he has great kicks and that fight you know up until fights i'll mention here in a little bit was looking as a fight of the night it was like the third or fourth fight on the card um it's not really much to say about it besides like isaac's uh, heart i'm sorry not isaac's but christian's heart going out there um, you know, try to put on a show for the CFC fans, uh, but he could just not get the takedown. Uh, he got the takedown in the second round. I believe he won the second round, but the first and the third were clearly uh, for Isaac because he got the takedown and Isaac wasn't able to get up. Actually, he got the takedown in the first as well, but Isaac was able to get up from that one uh, relatively quickly. And then, like I said, it went back, went back, ended with him spamming shots, um, you know, trying to get in close and then try to avoid a lot of the big power from Isaac. No props to that. Props to go in your first fight in the CFC, going three rounds with the bantamweight champ. Um, looking forward to things that'll happen to him. Uh, he's going to be trouble in the 125 pound division, uh, fighting those guys. And I don't think he should take a fight um, if he goes against a worthy opponent. Now, mind you, Isaac was the champion, so you know that's saying something else. So he may he may beat a lot of these other guys at 135 pounds, but. Um, at this point, until Christian gets a little bit bigger in his size, like puts on like some serious weight, I don't think he should be fighting at 135 pounds. Uh, even if he had like probably like four or five fights under his belt at 135 in the CFC or even for another organization, um, I don't think he at this point would be able to beat Isaac because um, not only like was Isaac bigger, um, they're almost the same height as well. So that means Isaac is bigger stockier stronger just you know just a thicker guy and at this point uh but let's christian 
buried a couple of his takedowns because a lot of the issues that he was doing this, he was shooting in straight at him. And I believe if he would have went for a couple of uh, outside singles, um, John Smith low singles, a couple of ankle picks, uh, he would have been able to get more success. And he also, he was throwing his hands a little bit, but he wasn't throwing his hands a lot. He was waiting until Isaac got in and then try to initiate contact and go for the takedown. But Isaac had great sprawling. Uh, but like I said, I just want, all the thing I really want to say about the fight is the heart of Christian to go three rounds with the champion, his first fight in the CFC, um, and it avoided a lot of big uh, power shots, taking a, a lot of excessive damage that some people may have thought he would have received from being in that fight. Um, and there's a lot of the fights I'm not going to really uh, talk about um, besides them. Because unless they have like a lot of implications, this one did. Uh, Bo Williams versus George, George Peratt. Um, the entire town of Shelbyville seemed to come out for Bo Williams. Uh, there was uh, they had a, a bunch of guys from Shelbyville BJJ that were on the card, and nobody got the pop like Bo did. And that's probably because George Peratt. Uh, he talks a lot behind the screen, right? Now, obviously, he's an MMA fighter, so he's willing to go out there and throw hands if you got problems with him, right? But he talks a whole lot uh, behind the screen, and uh, that's a problem, right? Because you're going to have to atone for your sins at one point, and he atoned for his when he fought Bo Williams. Uh, Bo just took him down at will, like, just, you know, just ragdolled him. Whenever he wanted the fight to go, that's where the fight was going. Uh, you know, he was beating him up with a lot of uh, a lot of good body body head strikes um and then this fight goes to exactly like how i was saying a lot of guys in mma do when somebody takes them down and they don't really know how to get up or they're not comfortable with letting something go to try to get up they will just get under hook lock their legs and just stalemate the whole time and so it was Bo keep trying to wiggle himself out to be able to land a couple shots and then he was getting held back down but like from the fight starting till it was in and it wasn't even close. Uh, some drama happened at the very end when the ref broke up the fight. Uh, uh, George got up. I think he threw a couple shots uh, after the bell because he didn't, you know, saying he didn't hear the bell. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Um, Kenny Vanderpool, Bo Williams coach, ended up jumping straight over the cage. And uh, it, was a, it was a whole big scene because like, it was like a delay with um, – George's coaches even coming in the cage um, after uh, Bo's coaches got in there. Like, I don't know, maybe it's because they didn't like what they saw and, you know, it's not a big, a big representative of, of their of their team. Um, and also in the crowd, you know, people who were for uh, George and then for Bo, there was almost a scrap right in front of me because, uh, you know, that's how people do when they get drunk when they come to these, they come to these events. So, Bo Williams is the next person in line to fight Alexander Shank. A uh, quick synopsis on that. Once again, uh, if you give Alex room, he's going to style on you. Bo looks like he's going to march forward and then go for the takedown. Uh, and then, like, the way he was able to hit a lot of these takedowns um, was something fantastic to look at um, in regards of his entry angles, how high he was getting people off the uh, George off the ground whenever he was able to shoot him in. And mind you, George trains with uh, Alex and all them. I don't know who's the best wrestler in the room with all of them, so I'm not going to try to speculate um, if they're like if he hasn't seen something like that before. But that fight um, is going to be interesting. The wrestling versus the striking. But Alexander showed people that if you make that one mistake, he can go ahead and get you out there.
get you out of there with a the choke. Uh, Najee Blackwell returned, got a first round guillotine choke, uh, and I think a little bit over a minute um, against uh, Joshua Weaver. Joshua Weaver was making his first day, uh, first fight in the CFC. He uh, was another was another Shelbyville prospect, and what pretty much like I said, what ended up happening with Ibby is he rushed in and uh, went for this double leg, had his neck completely exposed and got caught um and this is like a quick like breakdown for you guys that that do mma or do jujitsu or whatever because i made this mistake too at once at a tournament and i knew better and i didn't make the same mistake uh twice but when you shoot uh double legs on these guys and your head is on the outside when you're going against a lot of people who practice jujitsu and they're practicing countering that all the time which is what you kind of have to expect which is why i believe that um uh, Najee and Alex were able to finish the, both their opponents off with guillotines is they were being drilled hey when they shoot this double leg the head's gonna be on the outside the next one right there just take it and that's exactly what uh, Najee did as soon as he shot in he locked up the guillotine and this is something else you guys gotta do when you a person locks up the guillotine even if you're trying to finish a double leg you have to put your legs on the opposite side of your head to help relieve pressure off the choke because you got to turn away from the choke. You want your head to be, um, you have to turn your head away. Like you don't want to turn it, like your uh, the, your chin, you don't want to turn it into their elbow. You want to turn it like towards their body, right? Um, that's how you can get Von Flues and all this other fancy stuff or whatever. But regardless, when you do that, it's harder for them to readjust, lock their legs around you and get the guillotine. Well, what happened with Joshua is he shot straight forward, pushed up against the fence, and, you know, he was looking to still finish the double leg, which is, you know, don't be scared of the guillotine unless he had it in sink deep. You probably weren't going to get finished standing, right? So, especially with his back against the fence, he couldn't really get his back and his lats engaged in the choke. So, he probably felt safe there. But his mistake was when he went for the double leg, he lifted him and placed him straight down and went into his full guard. That's exactly where Najee wanted the fight to be at. And then, so once he did that, um, he was trying to defend it, but you know, of course it's loud there. It's your first time in the cage. You may not be thinking. He continuously kept trying to pass on the same side that the head was on. So as he kept trying to pass it with the same side his head was on, Najee just went with him the exact same way and kept creating pressure on the choke. When So when he kept creating more pressure on the choke, then he would realize, okay, I need to move and go to the other side. But at that point, Najee had it nice pinned really tight against the cage where he wasn't going to be able to move that way. And his only course of action at that point was to, excuse me, was either tap or nap. And uh, Najee ended up getting it done. And that also lets people see how versatile Najee is. He's not just a knockout artist. He can also get you out there with subs. Um, like I said, it'll be interesting. He's James Harrison's teammate, so he's not going to be fighting for the 170 title, um, I assume. But I believe he will be fighting for the 80, 85 pounds. So right now, just covering this out here right now, the 85, excuse me. <coughs> also, actually, I started at the bottom. 125, 185, 205, and heavyweight are all vacant titles at this time. And that's not including the women's weight classes, which I don't know. Um, if they're going to have straw weight, are they only going to have bantam weight? If not, going to are they going to have fly weight? Right now, every fight that has been contested has only been um, for the women's division has only been 
bantamweight. So that'll be interesting uh, to see how those shake out. And maybe we'll get some clarification with one of those divisions uh, coming here this summer or this uh, fall. Anyway, uh, so hopefully we'll see what shakes up there. Uh, Jason Baker, um, a fight of the night contender uh, versus Jose Araya. Uh, I thought Jose's, like, if you look at him, you may not think he even makes 155 pounds, but he's like a, he's a short, real stocky guy, has a lot of great power. And uh, Jason, it was his first fight at 155, fought at 145, fought for the title. Um, but I was like, man, I don't know if he's going to be able to match power for power with uh, Jose. Well, guess what? We didn't even have to worry about that. These guys stood and banged the entire time. Uh, you know, great fight. Could have went either way. Um, I thought, in my opinion, I had thought Jason easily had two rounds. Um but I can see two rounds for uh, Jose as well, right? So, um, the most impressive thing was the striking that was on display for Jason Baker and those guys, like I said, at Legion, man. When he came out, because like I said, I thought, you know, the long layoff, upper weight class, when it gets a guy that was a lot stronger, yet you may end up having to realize, let me try my jiu-jitsu, see how that works. He, the combinations he was able to throw um, and then like throw, he's out the pocket, throw, he's back out the pocket. Um, or even when he had to stay in the pocket, throw, uh, when something's coming at him, ducking in, getting the clinch, throwing a knee, pushing him back off. Fantastic work. Fantastic work by Jason, um, in that department. And I wonder if that's enough to get him a crack at Jaime again, you know, like Ivy would have been able to see the progressions that he's made in his striking and it doesn't look like he you know took you know that that year off that he was doing personal training i believe he said he was doing and things like that i don't think it really it affected him you know he was obviously in the gym you know working on a lot of these things for volume and plus he you know you don't have to worry about these guys with legion for the most part you ain't got to worry about their gas tank they got a good gas tank uh so um like i said shout out for jason uh, for a great return, a great return fight. Uh, and so this one, I'm going to say quick, uh, Sabrina Stover, uh, beat Anna. I don't know how to say her last name correctly. Like Kowalski, she's a uh, Polish, whatever. Uh, she won the first knockout of the night trophy that the uh, CFC has had, finishing her in 27 seconds with a massive, it was either a right hook or uppercut. I couldn't really see it. It was like in the clinch together, and she fired off a good shot. Um, she was like throwing shots to her body right before that goes. So, uh, Sabrina came in uh, eight pounds light for the fight. Her first fight was at straw weight. Um, so if there is a featherweight, contendership cue right there she's perfect for that they decided to make the straw weight you know she's good there but then obviously we have learned that she has the power to go ahead and get this thing done at bantamweight as well so um maybe we'll like i said earlier maybe we'll get some clarification in the women's division maybe we'll get our first women's champ sometime then um and this fight um, there's not a lot to say besides the fact that 
Sage Mullins is a force to be reckoned with in the heavyweight division. Uh, when I saw him throw his kick, the speed of his kicks without no windup, the accuracy and the power that he was able to land on Riley Hanner was something uh, a sight to see. And not only that is, you know, so when people talk about like, when you throw kicks, when you're learning these, it's not getting it up fast. It's getting it up fast and back down fast. You don't want to throw it up there and then your leg takes a while to get back down because then if you get punched, you have nothing to help balance yourself and, you know, your leg can get caught and all this other stuff. He was able to throw that kick or kicks rather um, different levels uh, with power up and down effortlessly. It, I mean, like I said, it looked it looked great. I'm seeing him do that styling on Riley the way he did. And then he did what you should do. If you know who you want to fight next, if you think you're deserving of it, is we grabbed the mic and he called out Chase and said he wanted him this summer. Uh, like I said, the heavyweight title is vacant. Uh, I don't know if they want to have a – because, like, they did it before. They had There was only one other person who ended up having two division titles at the same time. I don't know if they want to do that with Chase – uh, because obviously, you know, now you're going to hold yourself up a division if he's un unable to fight on a certain type of schedule for you guys. But uh, Sage called him out for the super heavyweight title. So um, maybe they'll just go ahead and do that and then they'll try to match somebody else up for the uh, heavyweight title. Um, but like I said, man, the, and then plus, this is also something else is true too. Sage's speed of his kicks was faster than his punches, which was also weird. But the way he was able to keep... He has very long arms, and he was able to keep Riley at distance with his jab. Like, me and Sage may have the same reach. I'm 6'3", and I think they said he was like 5'9", or 5'8", and we may have the, have the same reach because that's how, literally, that's how long his arms looked. And so every time Riley tried to move in or do anything, he got popped, got hit with the jab, and had to stay right back on the outside. And then as soon as he got hit with the jab, pow, here comes a kick. Pow, here comes another kick. And he never got close enough to initiate his wrestling. Like they said, Riley was a wrestler and stuff before. And uh, but he stayed, you know, he stayed in there. He showed heart. Um, you know, it was, you know, you do what you can until your body ends up giving out on you for you take so many shots. I mean, he was finished in the, uh, the second round. Uh, the thing that I would say about like Riley's performance, we didn't get to see a lot out of him. But this is the time when if you if you're gonna take, it's not this MMA seriously. Even if you only end up doing a couple amateur fights and you decide you're done, you don't want to turn pro. Uh, you know, figure out what weight class you want to fight at. You know, Sage weighed in at 261. Uh, he's a young guy. He eventually could one day, like, fight down, make uh, uh, the lightweight limit, you know, if he keeps his continuous training and stuff like that. Uh, but Riley Tanner weighed in, or Hanner, rather, Hanner, weighed in at 220 pounds. Right, 15 off from 205, and he took this fight with that much weight, which is I think affected. I don't know if he knew about how much Sage was probably going to weigh beforehand, but I think affected when he was going to come out there and try to initiate his own wrestling. Uh, Hanner wrestled at 182 pounds when he was in high school, um, and then I know he recently did a event um, for like the juniors or something like that. I think for uh, like USA Wrestling or something or whatever wrestling club he's a part of. And so they use uh, Olympic weights or, or they, Olympic or world weights, which is it kind of still gets confusing to me because they only use kilograms instead of regular pounds. So I don't really remember all those. Um, however, 
if he's going to fight and fight in the CFC and fight for CFC for a long time, especially being a shorter guy, he needs to go ahead and drop down to 205. You know, take the discipline uh, to drop those 15 pounds. Um, and I believe he'll end up having a whole lot more uh, success if he does so. Uh, but like I said, I like what I saw from Sage. And more than anything else, I like the fact that he b- believes he's deserving of a title shot. Called the champ out. Champ went in the cage and the champ agreed. So to me, it ain't nothing to do but the doing and going ahead and sign that fight up. Fights that, like I said, um, not going to cover um, just because of the spirit of time. I know I probably already got you guys here for a long time. Is uh, uh, Adonis. I can't forget. Well, his name's not Adonis. It's something with the A. I forgot how to say it right. Well, Lena beat Martavius Mitchell. Um, I had it by armbar. Uh, they called it an armbar, but some people in the event said he actually got him locked up at a triangle. I couldn't see. Um, that fight is also kind of weird because Martavius is 5'3". Uh, Bolina, I think, was like 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, they fought at 145 pounds. Uh, Bartavius, if he wants to really make some noise, he may need to go ahead and drop down to 135 pounds. Um, you know, like I said before, you know, take that discipline, go ahead and drop. Um, especially because he's a boxer and he went in and tried to grapple this guy because he had to close the distance. Um, these guys at 145, a lot of them, they're going to be a whole lot taller than him. At least he would have people closer to his weight if he fought at 135. I don't think he'll be able to make 125 because he is, like, nice and kind of cut up. He'd probably have to dehydrate himself some. Uh, but that would be, you know, interesting to do uh, if that happens. Uh, like I said, and then uh, the guy, uh, Michael Benneke, beat Alex Pareto in his, uh, his first fight in the CFC. Um Back and forth war um, ended up with Bideke getting the uh, unanimous decision um, in a lightweight division. Uh, also, Clint Bell fought, uh, like I said, Alex Marana, I mean, Morahina, however you say his name correctly. Uh, Clint ended up, I mean, if you haven't seen Clint Bell fight, what he does is he comes in, he comes in to throw hands. Um, there's not, there's not uh, much you can do. To change that, when he, when the ref says go, he might wait like a second or two, and then he's he's ready to throw. So it's either a feast or famine at that point, you know. <clears throat> and they were sitting there throwing hands with each other, um, sloppily. Ended up ended up in a uh, in a clinch, and then uh, Miranda got on top, and then Clinton didn't have no room to escape. That he got the job done there. Uh, one of these guys, maybe my future opponent, either this summer or in the uh either this summer or in the future or it may never happen i don't know i'm just looking forward to getting in the cage this summer so anyway like i said i hope you guys enjoy the pod um the previous show rankings will end up being this uh coming a couple days from now uh there's something else a reason why i kind of wanted to wait because i wanted to see how the rankings go because the rankings kind of would give me uh ways to figure out how new matchups are going to go um who's been removed from the rankings as in are they just done with the CFC or did they not do enough and they end up getting taken off? Like myself, I know for a fact I haven't had a lot of activity. I'm in the fifth spot right now. I may actually fall out of the top five for the CFC, which is that be understanding. So anyway, guys, thanks for checking out the pod. Um, like I said, CFC 9 should be this summer. It'll also be in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. CFC 10 will be this fall. Also should be in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Obviously, we don't know what titles will be at hand and all this other stuff, but just stay tuned. So, 
Thank you guys for checking out the pod. This is how you become legendary and greatness is earned.